Well, it's great you're all here. I give you 10 out of 10 for making it after the storm. Well done to get here. Uh, lovely to see you as usual. And we're going to continue looking on at Luke's Gospel. We're going to be looking uh, from verses 39 in chapter 2. Today our talk is entitled, Do Things God's Way and Fulfill His Plan. And you know, as we went into the prayer room this morning, we all agreed there was a sort of a sense of a heaviness. And I just can sense that even right here now, that the enemy would try to put heaviness on you. He would try to discourage you and make you lethargic. He would try to even close your ears up, that you wouldn't even hear what God wants to say to you. But I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. You know, last Friday morning, I was going out. I was telling some of the women, we were at a conference over the weekend, and I was telling some of the ladies, last Friday morning, William had already said his goodbyes, and I was up in the kitchen, and I thought he and Jane had already gone, in fact. And all of a sudden, I heard this big stomp up the hall. Stomp, stomp. And he came marching up the hall with his two arms out, and he goes, Mum, I love you. And he came up and he wanted a hug and a kiss and you know it just lit my heart. But that's what the Father has for you this morning. His arms are wide open and he's saying, I love you. Don't you know it? I love you. And he wants, I believe, as we talk this morning, I believe he wants to touch you in that deepest, most darkest place because he loves you so much and he wants to shine his light in there. And today we're going to be looking at a bit of the story where it tells us about Jesus. You know, Luke's gospel is interesting because it doesn't mention the wise men coming. It doesn't tell us about Herod's command to kill all the baby children under two years old. It doesn't mention that uh, God gave Joseph a dream and they had to flee down into Egypt with a little baby to save his life. It doesn't tell you any of those things. But we do know that those things happened. So it just simply tells us in uh, chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, it says, if I can get the right verse here, 39. Yeah, he says, so um, it says, sorry, verse 40. Uh, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So it just kind of moves from being a in, in uh, Bethlehem and all the beautiful things that happened, all of a sudden the child is growing and then the next thing is they're going back up to, uh, to Nazareth again, up to Galilee. So because we know those things happened, we know that by the time they were travelling back up to Galilee, the baby must have been at least a few years old. Jesus must have already been a few years old. And I really have got quite excited as I've done this study over the last few days. Because, you know, sometimes it's easy to just kind of think, yes, you know, Jesus little baby, and you move through it far too quickly. And I felt like the Holy Spirit has shown me some wonderful things about how God prepared his son, about how Jesus was a little baby, and how even as a little baby he grew. It says, the child grew and became strong in spirit. So we take it that even as a little baby of a few years old by this stage when he was going back, that already he was growing and becoming strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And you'll notice that in your notes, uh, I have said that, that whenever, a, whenever a Jewish baby was three years old, apparently the custom was that he would be given a tasseled garment. 
I think that's amazing, a tasseled garment. These garments were also worn in adulthood and they were white. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you can see people wearing them. They're white, they've got tassels along the bottom and there's a bit of blue in them. And the idea was that when a child, when they put this garment on the child, it was a sign that this child was royalty or at least nobility. It was lifting up from the, the common way of thinking about children to realizing this child is special. You need to know that you're special. You need to know that if you've asked Jesus to be your savior, you're nobility. You are actually royal. And so they wore this beautiful garment. And of course the blue, we talk about blue blood because that speaks of royalty, doesn't it? And the blue speaks of royalty. And so when they put this on a child, uh, it, was, um, it was called a talit, was the, the whole thing, talit. And it was worn by adults as well. And in fact, it was a, like a garment that they could have put over their head as well, a bit like a prayer shawl. The idea was that they could kind of cover their head. Another word for it is like a tent. Remember the tabernacle? The same idea that where you could be walking around the place, you could put it over your head and feel like you're in God's presence in the tabernacle. In fact, it was also referred to as like a closet. Remember Jesus said, if you go into your closet and pray. So this could be very easy at any time. You could put it over and you could pray to God. This would probably have been the garment that Jesus would have been given. It was also called wings. These tassels were referred to as wings. And it's very interesting because at the end of... Um, well, let me read you a verse from Psalm 61 and 4. It says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. So the idea was they could kind of put this over their head. And of course, Jesus would have worn one of these garments. And over, as we go through Luke, we're going to see something more of the significance of the tassels. But in the end of, um, end of, the, of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, the very, one of the very last things it says in Malachi... Let me read it to you. It says, um, where am I? Um, well, yes, here we are, verse, uh, verse, verse, verse. I'm in Habakkuk instead of Malachi, for goodness sake, I can't, I can't see. Here we are. Okay, it says in verse 2, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise, that was the Messiah, that was Jesus, with healing in his wings. Now remember the wings were like the tassels. No wonder, now it makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? Why that wee woman that was so ill crawled, we, it's, it's translated in our Bibles as the hem of his garment. It was the tassels. No wonder, she must have known her Old Testament, that she knew that the Messiah when he would come would have healing in his wings. Healing in the tassels was the literal meaning of it. And so when we think of as a three-year-old, wanted to get this, as a three-year-old they would have put this little garment on him. How cute he must have looked. And so Jesus, uh, this, was, this was because of the law, the law of God, number 15, where, Jesus, where God told the Israelites that they were to put tassels on their garments. And as he grew up, of course, you remember he referred to people who were very ostentatious, who showed off, who didn't actually mean it in their heart, but were wearing these big long tassels. You can read that in Matthew 25 and 3, where they extended the, the length of their tassels to try and make them look even more holy. So this is the way that Jesus would probably have grown up. And then at five years of old, five years of age, can you imagine that at five years of age, he would have been beginning to learn portions of the law and that would have been under his mother's direction. So do you see how God was preparing his son? Now this is a little boy who is a real child, a real human being. 
but he is also God in flesh. But he wasn't coming knowing everything. He was coming to, to experience the reality of being a real child, a real baby. And now at five years of age, his mother, is, can you imagine, Mary, is teaching him some of the scriptures that are in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That's known as the Shema. That was probably the very first scripture that he was taught as a little boy. Can you imagine as he's, as he's five years of age, he's, he's, he's remembering and learning these scriptures. Psalms 114, 118, 136, these were known as the Hallel Psalms. I'm going to read you a couple of bits out of the 118 because it just blew me away. You see, I believe that as this child was learning the scripture, because he, remember he was a pure human being. He was the only child who was ever born without sin. Adam had been, had been created without sin, but he, he and Eve had fallen and had become sinful. But Psalm 40 tells us that God prepared a body, a particular body for his son. And inside this body, the Christ Jesus was going to delight to do the Father's will. You and I, in our old nature, we delight to do our own will. But Jesus came to this earth and he was in a body that his father had prepared for him and he delighted to do his father's will. And can you imagine as he is growing up and as he's learning these scriptures how the Holy Spirit is revealing to him who he is and the call of God upon his life. It must have been a gradual experience over the years. And Psalm 118, here's, I'm just going to read parts of this out for you. It says... Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. Can you imagine as a five-year-old that Jesus is reading these Psalms and he's suddenly, the Holy Spirit's enlightening him that he is going to go through the gates of right righteousness, that he is going to go through all that his Father has called him to do, that he will praise the Lord. And then it goes on to say, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall, ent shall enter. Imagine he's realising realizing that he was linked to his heavenly father, beginning to, as the Holy Spirit revealed to him, something of who he was, because he was a real man. It wasn't magic. God allowed him to experience real humanity, whilst at the same time, God was in his flesh. We cannot understand it, ladies. It says, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. As a little five-year-old, I wonder with the Holy Spirit revealing to him that he was going to be the stone, he was going to be the one that the, who would be rejected, the one that God was going to exalt. I wonder, did he realise, was there a dawning as to what his destiny was? And then it goes on to say in Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God is in the Lord and he has given us light. And then it goes on to say, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. I wonder did he realise that God, that he was born into light, that he carried the light of God with him, and that one day he was going to be that sacrifice that would be bound for the sins of humanity. I wonder how much he was grasping as a five-year-old, but you know what? He was learning, he was learning the scriptures even as a five-year-old. And then, of course, whenever he would have been 13 years old, uh, and although we don't actually, the Bible doesn't tell us this exactly, but any other 13-year-old at that time in history, and indeed now, they would, have, they would have worn for the first time something called the Teflon, 
or the phylactery. Now we go out to Israel, as you know, the past few years, and if you go there and go any, especially anywhere near where the Western Wall is, where they're all worshipping at the Western Wall, you will see these little black leather boxes tied on their forehead, strapped on, and also on their upper arm as well. And the idea is that there, an actual set of the Tefillin would have been uh, scrolls with scripture written on them, and a uh, little black leather, two little leather, black leather boxes with straps. And so the idea was the, the Jews took it literally that they were to bind the word of God across their mind and across their, and their strength as well. So the idea was that when they strapped these onto their forehead, that they were actually harnessing to the, the word of God to their mind and intellect. And when they strapped them, the wee boxes up here on their upper arm, that was near their heart. So it was about the word of God being near their emotions and also their strength. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And of course, they misused it because they began to do, you know, began to think this was all there was. Whereas Jesus came, and you see, he didn't even need those wee boxes because he had the word of God in his mind. His, the word of God was in his heart and in his mind, and that's where God wants us to have the word of God. But these boxes, possibly, possibly as a 13-year-old, he would have been given this little, this little teflon, which he may well have worn. You see, the thing is, we forget that Jesus was a Jew. We have been taught so much uh, just about the word of God without bringing the Jewish background to it. He was a real Jew practicing the Jewish law and going through their customs, and, but he was pure and undefiled. There was, there was no sin in him at all. And so uh, we've got to remember that he was born sinless, that, he, that God's word was written in his heart. And you see, the thing is this, that the moment that you and I ask Jesus to be our saviour, we also receive the Holy Spirit. We, we carry the presence of God with us. Isn't that amazing? That actually, you can, you, we're not surprised that Jesus was growing in wisdom and strength. We're not surprised he was learning the scriptures and he was growing. That's how he's described here. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. We're not surprised to realise that's what happened whenever Jesus was growing up. But you know what? Even if we're saved and we're still infants, even if we're only believers for a very short time, if we're still very young in the faith, God still wants to see us growing in strength. He still wants us to, to be filled with the Spirit and of wisdom and of grace. He wants you and me to grow. And the way we grow is by eating and feeding of the word of God. You know, this last week or two, I've come across a couple of young girls who've just got to know Jesus as their saviour. And, you know, it's been lovely to explain to them, look, you, now you've come to faith and you've asked Jesus to be your saviour, well, you need to get the bottle of the word of God into you, just the way an ordinary baby is. And, and it's so important because if we don't get the word, then we don't grow. And so you can see how even Jesus, when he came to this earth, how he would have been nurtured in the word of God, steeped in the word of God, even from an infant. A three-year-old, a five-year-old, a 13-year-old, very definite marks in his life. And God wants you and he wants me to grow in grace. So that's verse 40. Let's look down to verse 41 of Luke chapter 2. It says, The parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and their acquaintances. 
Now, if we think of Jesus growing up as a baby, three-year-old, five-year-old, and how he's learning the scriptures and learning them off by heart, uh, we can see that he was being prepared for all that his father had for him. I want to tell you something right now, and I'm speaking to myself as well. It's the word of God, and it's getting it into our hearts. That's what prepares us for our destiny. There's no point in saying we'll do great things for God and we'll fulfill our destiny if we haven't got his word into our hearts. We've got to get it into our minds, into the way we think. We've got to start thinking the way God speaks through his word instead of all the other nonsense. And we've got to be getting his word into our heart. It's got to be the thing that thrills us when we read his word. It does something to us, not only strengthens us, but gives us, it gives us that spiritual and even, even mental and emotional energy that we need from the word of God. And so we need to be preparing ourselves by the word and getting it into our hearts. But as Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he was going up with his parents. Can you just imagine this family uh, going up to Jerusalem? Despite the length of the journey, they were going to have to walk a great distance. They were, they were faithful to God. And you know, can you just imagine all of these pilgrims traveling all over Israel? All making it up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Salem means peace. That's the, that, the city of peace. That's where they were heading to. And can you imagine all of the community from Galilee making this long trip to Jerusalem? And I can imagine because it was a feast that God called them to, eh, the Lord called eh, all his people to come up to Jerusalem and they were supposed to come three times a year and the feast of Passover was the most important feast. And when a feast in those days and today is a joyous occasion. They sing and dance and can you imagine them coming up, travelling up all in a big, big group, in a big family and community together, dancing, celebrating, coming up to Jerusalem. You know, every year we go to Israel, whenever we come to that bit where we're leaving Galilee and we're going up to Jerusalem, there's something begins to stir. There's something begins to stir of excitement in all our hearts. And the closer you get to Jerusalem, it's like this. We're going up to Jerusalem. Let me read you a little bit about Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verses 1 to 2. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let's read what it says, 125, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Psalm 48 and 2, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. Listen, the excitement as they would have been going up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, up to where God's presence was in the temple. You know, they, they did their offerings up in Galilee. They had their little sacrifices. They kept all in all for their sins, but they were going up to Jerusalem because that's where God's presence dwelt and that's where they were going and they were going together. Oh, I love, I love Jerusalem. I love the whole picture of this family going up, going up in obedience. Do you know something? There's real joy whenever we obey God. When you just obey him, there's joy. I promise you that. You mightn't want to do it, but you see the moment you say, well, okay, God, I don't want to do that, but I know your word's telling me. I know I'm not meant to hold out a grudge any longer. I'm going to let go of it. Could you tell me to do that? Do you know what happens? All of that irritation and holding on to stuff, what's it replaced with? Joy. Why? Because we've been obedient. And I remember a friend of mine saying one time, obedience is like, is like opening through doors. 
It's like you're a vigilant, then you come to the next door and sure as goodness it's going to open for you. Then you come to something else. Are you going to be a vigilant? No, then you have to stay where you are. Maybe you can go back a few. A vigilance? Next door, through the next door. That's the way it works. We don't go any further unless we're obedient. And this crowd, this this community, with Jesus and his and, and his mum and Joseph, his so-called earthly father, they were being obedient, and they were making the journey to go up to Jerusalem. Don't you just love it? Don't you just love that God uh, just simply wants us to trust Him and to be obedient to Him? And then He's going up there, and we're told that He was twelve years old when they went up to Jerusalem. So I don't know what he did. Apparently that feast is about seven days. So can you imagine it would have been a, probably a very safe community. We've been there, we've seen around the temple area and, and, and obviously it would have been very different way back then, but you get the idea. You see the, the walls and all the rest of it. And you see, think of this, this 12 year old boy, possibly just about to be 13. Maybe he had his bar mitzvah, his 13 years of age ceremony. When he was up there, we don't know, but at 12 years old, a Jewish boy would have been preparing for his bar mitzvah. And mitzvah, actually I looked up the meaning of it, and it has the idea of being connected or attached to or joined to the commandments. So a young Jewish boy, when he became 13 years old, he would have had a ceremony, and it was symbolizing that he was now coming into adulthood, that he was now going to be able to be responsible for his own actions, that he was going to um, he was going to be responsible to fulfil all the law in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and and so at thirteen, this was a memorable service. I think it was two years ago we were in Jerusalem and we were sitting one day in the middle of the day and we we're sitting outside. <coughs> in the old Jewish quarter and we were at a wee table and we were having our lunch and there was William and Jane and myself and the next thing we heard this real din and was like banging, I don't know, drums or I don't know what it was, a real shindig and the next thing we saw coming down around all of these Jewish Orthodox Jews with their stuff and all on them and this wee boy and they were, they were celebrating his bar mitzvah, he was reaching 13 years old and they were singing and chanting and dancing and they came right down past us and then William, he was going a bit crazy in the seat as well. And then they, they, then they disappeared. And then a few minutes later, blow me, but then they come right back again. And they did that about three times, if I remember rightly. And the joy, it was contagious. Why? Because the boy was becoming a man. He was going to follow in his father's footsteps. He was going to be, he was going to be uh, joined in his own faith. He was going to be attached to the law and the word of God. Love the symbolism. And so it may well have been that Jesus went up as a 12-year-old and maybe had his 13th birthday. Who knows? Might well have been around Passover time that he came to be 13. Apparently it's one day after your 13th birthday you get your bar mitzvah. And so Jesus would have been there. And of course, when they went up to Jerusalem, he was really, and the family were presenting themselves to God. You see, we need to be prepared. God wants us to get his word into our hearts. Get to know his word. Get to know the way God thinks. How can we think like God if we don't know what his word says? We need to be prepared. We need to get the word into our hearts. And we need to present ourselves to him. And when they went up to the feast, that's what they were doing. They were coming up to say, here we are. We want to worship you. Do you know something? I don't know about you, but I can look back over my life and I can see, oh, 
hundreds and hundreds of times where I, I presented myself to God. Have you ever done it? Have you ever said, God, here I am, just wash me all over again? I was saved when I was eight years old. But I tell you, the time since, since then that I've said, Lord, please just wash me again clean and I want to present myself to you. I remember coming down the road, I tell this story often because it's one of the times that really stuck out. I remember coming down the road from Inniskillen years ago and I was really broken. And I remember just the, the song came on and the song was, Here Am I, Totally Available to You. And I remember just weeping and saying, I am available to you. I am presenting myself to you. Do with me whatever you can. That's a great prayer. That's the beginning of exciting stuff to start. It might be a while before it happens, but I tell you, God wants us to present ourselves, prepare ourselves, present ourselves to him because he has a plan. And, and you know what? The plan just doesn't happen. It's not like, you know, the fairy godmother that just, and Cinderella, here you are. It's not like that. It's real. It's real. It's not magic. It's real. And we've got to go through it. And we've got to, even Jesus, the Son of God, was prepared by the Word of God. He was, he was a clean vessel. He was born without sin. He lived without sin. And he came and presented himself up to Jerusalem. Little did he know, little did they know, little did his mother Mary and Joseph, little did they know that one day their son, Jesus, would be the Passover lamb. I wonder even at that early age, as a 12 year old, I wonder was there a dawning in him? Was the Holy Spirit enlightening him and showing him that one day he would be that sacrifice bound to the altar? I'll tell you, it's a very, I, I've had a whole lot of different thinking about this because I've studied this this last few days. We, this was real. Jesus went through this and he set himself to go through it. He was gonna go through those gates, why? Because he loved you and he loved me. And he knew there was no other way of doing it. And so uh, the bar mitzvah would most, I mean, I, I cannot see how as a Jew he would not have gone through that because for over 3,000 years they've been performing this ceremony. It would have been going on. This was what Jesus would have known as a soon-to-be 13-year-old. And then it tells us here that the boy lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. There's something about the presence of God. You see, I think when Jesus was up in Jerusalem, my guess is that he just loved the sense of the temple and the sense of his father's presence. And of course, um, he, he loved his, he walked always with the, his father's presence with him. And you know, Mary and Joseph, when they when they'd set off on the journey, I guess it was very easy for Jesus just to slip behind. Just wanting to be at his father's house. And so Mary and Joseph, they continue for a, a full day's journey and then suddenly they realise he's not with them at all. And you know, as I read this, I was struck with the, th with the thought that so often you and I make decisions. Now, I'm just gonna be up straight because I have done it and I know you have too. We'll make decisions about stuff. We make bad decisions at times. We, we get a notion into our head and we head off in some direction. And you know what? After a while, we begin to realise, I'm not enjoying the Lord the way I was. What's wrong with me? Have you ever felt like that? Why? We haven't, we've left the presence behind us. <laughs> Do you remember Moses said, if you don't go with me, if your presence isn't going to go with me, I don't want to go. And I believe it's so important that we, we remember that, that, we, that we're actually throwing stuff and saying, Lord, you know, if you don't go with me, I don't want to do that. If you're not in that, I don't want to do it. And you know, the most important thing we can carry with us is the presence of God. The sense of God's presence is what gives us 
the, the energy and the joy and the wherewithal to get up out of bed in the morning. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so it's so important. And you know, once we kind of lose that sense of his presence, we need to have a look inside. And just like Mary and Joseph, we need to go and find him. And we need, as far as we're concerned, we need to be saying, Lord, please just forgive me. Get back to where we left off. Please just wash me clean. But you know what I love about Jesus? That can happen so quickly. He wants to forgive. His blood, in fact, 1 John 1 and 7 tells us that when we walk in the light, and as he is in the light, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's so, it's so good that we can have this ongoing sense of his presence with us. And so they came back, and where did they find him? They knew he wasn't with them. They made the journey back to Jerusalem, and when they got there, they found that he was sitting in the temple. Actually, the, the, the complaint to Jesus, let me just read it to you again. It says, so when they did not find him, verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. They'd got back inside probably one day because they're away a day's journey. But then it says they didn't find him. It was three days before they found him. I wonder why they didn't think of looking in the temple. Like that would have been the most obvious place to look where his father was. But eventually they found him. And it says in verse 48, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to Jesus, Son, why, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. You know, Jesus carried the, the, the sense of the, the presence of his father, I've no doubt, right throughout his life. But he loved being about his father's house. He loved the temple. He wanted to be there. But Mary and Joseph, they, they were kind of, you know, they were kind of coming and, and they were asking him questions like, like why did you do that? Do you not know you caused us a lot of anxiety and a lot of sorrow? What was that all about? And I'm sure whenever Jesus answered them, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? I'm sure that they were taken aback. Because you see, Mary was talking about Joseph, your, your father and I, Joseph being the father, but Jesus was referring to his heavenly father. And you see, if the, if the first part of our talk today is about needing to prepare ourselves by the word of God, and if the second part is that God wants us to present ourselves to him, to say, look, here I am, living sacrifice, you know, I want to be, do it your way, I want to I go with you, then this third thing is that we need to appreciate his presence, that we need to appreciate that his presence is with us, and we need to have our priorities right. See, Jesus had his priorities right. It was his father's business above all else. I read this somewhere. I've written it in your notes as well, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, whenever, whenever, can you imagine, you know, Mary and Joseph coming up and seeing Jesus, a 12-year-old, maybe just turned 13, and he's sitting amongst all of these, um, all of these educated people, all of these, uh, I mean, the best in the land, um, I don't know whether Jane's got my phone down there or not, but if you have, if you bring it up, there's a wee bit of a read out on it. I forgot to get it, Jane, sorry. Um, because, you see, the Jewish rabbis were the highest intellect in the land. They studied the law. They knew everything. They were very educated men. And here's what, it's, here's what the wee quote is. When we realise the impressive intellectual insight and analysis 
of Jewish rabbis, this is impressive. This is something like a middle school child discussing physics with a rocket, rocket scientist. Jesus did have a unique advantage, advantage having a special relationship with the writer of God's word. That's taken from the Enduring Word uh, Bible commentary. No wonder they were astonished. I mean, we can't get our head around it. How a 12-year-old, how a 12-year-old could have had those conversations. And I love the way it says it, that they were asking questions, listening and asking questions. Do you know that the Jewish people, that's the way they teach. A Jewish person, a rabbi to this day, they're really into these hard questions to make you think. They go about education in a different way than we do. I just love the accuracy of the scripture. Let me see if I can just get this. Um, morning, morning, Jerry and Mo. <laughs> it's not that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see if I can just get this one. Um, probably can't get it and then it becomes the bit. Here we are, among the famous doctors. Among the famous doctors or rabbis then living and teaching in Jerusalem were the famous Hillel, then very aged, verging, we are told, on his hundredth year. His almost equally illustrious rival was a man called Shammai, Gamaliel, remember him? He was the master of Saul of Tarsus. And then there was Jonathan, the compiler of the Chaldee paraphrase of the sacred books. There was Simeon, the son of the successor of Hillel. There was Nicodemus, remember him, who some years later afterwards came to Jesus by night. And when the end was come, it was Nicodemus who reverently assisted in, lay, in laying this king's son with all honour in the tomb of in Joseph of Arimathea's garden. We may, we may with all great probability assume that amongst those doctors whom the boy Jesus questioned at that Passover feast, some of them, if not all of these known men, were sitting. You know, we, we do not take this half. We, we, we skim over it. The truth was that Jesus was growing up as a real child, a real boy. He was presenting himself into Jerusalem. He was presenting himself, possibly even aware that he was presenting himself to one day be the Passover lamb himself. And he had his priorities right. He, he said to, to his mother and to, to Joseph, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's actually four things here I just jotted down that I thought were quite interesting. Things that Jesus said he must do. The first one we've just said, his priority was his father's business. The second one was he must preach to other cities. You see, he, he knew that in him, the, whole, the spirit in him was, was driving him to reach out and to reach the Gentiles, reach the other cities as well as the Jewish cities. He must do it. And then he said in Luke 9, he must suffer many things and be slain. He knew that he must become the sacrifice. And then the, the, the fourth one was he must, I have to put this one in because this is one of my favourite bits of all of scripture, he must go through Samaria. Do you know why I put that in? Because do you know what? You need to know that the Son of God has his eye on you. And just as he said, I must go through Samaria because he had an appointment with one woman who was in difficulties. Listen, ladies, you need to know he's an appointment with you. You need to know that he has making himself available to you, that he has brought you here this morning 
If there was nobody else, only you here, he wants you to know that he must get to you, that he loves you, that you're on his list, that he wants you to meet with him and he wants you to get stronger. And you know, Mary did not understand his priority. She didn't understand really what was happening whenever their son stayed, whenever her son stayed behind in, in Jerusalem and talked about his father's business. And you see, we're the same. There's sometimes things in our lives we don't understand what's going on. We're thinking, Lord, why did you not do that this way? I thought you'd have done it this way, and then I thought you'd have done that, but you didn't. And you know what? We get into a complete tizzy. We get into anxiety. We begin to get annoyed and depressed and discouraged. But all the time, we've got to say words like this. And I'll tell you something, ladies. I am always saying this, but I'm saying it again without any kind of um, uh, apology. You've got to start talking right you really got to start speaking out words of faith instead of negative words. Of, instead of repeating the lies of the enemy that, you're, that nothing's going to happen and God doesn't care and not, he's not working for you. you got to start speaking out words of truth. God, in your time, you're at work. I can't see what you're doing, but I thank and praise you. You are at work. I want your priority to be my priority. Stop trying to get God to, to come down to your level and do things your way. And start saying, God, I want to change. I don't want you to change for me. I want to change for you. I want to come into line with what you're saying because you know what you're talking about and I don't. And half times we're talking stuff and you know what? We don't know what we're saying. And, and Mary, at, at this time, bless her heart and Joseph, they didn't understand. And you see, our job is not to get God to come and agree with us, but for us to start agreeing with him. Once that happens, I tell you, once that happens, then we begin to see things moving in our lives because it's getting into line with God that will change things, not trying to pull him down to do it the way we think it should be done. And then it tells us, I love this, it says down verse 51, Then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Jesus submitted himself to his, to his parents. Okay, so we've said at the beginning that Jesus was, as a child, he was being prepared uh, through the word of God. We saw that he presented himself up at the, in, after the temple in Jerusalem. We saw that he, 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 he was after the presence of God and that his parents missed his presence and had to go back again. We saw that he had his priorities right and now we come to the plan. Because you see that God had a plan for his son and he had a plan for you. God's plan for Jesus was he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die for your sins and he was going to restore you, not just to get your ticket to heaven, but to actually restore the nobility and the royalty that he first created a man and a woman to live in. You're, you're not just, you have not, if you've trusted Jesus as your saviour, you just haven't got a ticket to say, well, you'll get in whenever you die, you'll get in. No, you have now got the right to walk in your true identity as a daughter of the King of Kings, to know that you are royalty, to know that you're out of the dark and you're now walking in the light. And you, you need to know this. You need to know that you have a robe on you of righteousness that makes you beautiful, beautiful in God's eyes. And we should look at each other and recognize the beauty of Christ in each other because we have been restored. Salvation gets us to heaven, but it restores us right here and now. And it gets us into a place where we can walk through life with our shoulders back, knowing who we are, and, and really beginning to, to allow the power of God to flow through us and out of us. As young Alan was saying here on Sunday morning, that when we actually bless people, that something happens because we are the daughters of the king and we carry the blessing. Isn't that awesome? 
that we can speak words of, of the Lord bless you and keep you and it means something there's a weight on it it's not just oh bless you as you're going past no you carry weight because of who you are in Christ that you're a royal daughter of the king do you not know it that's who you are and the enemy doesn't want you to believe it he wants to put the dirt over you and just get you down and down and down till you, you, you can't even look up because you're so dis- under despair and discouraged and believing all those lies that just destroy you and rob you every day. But you know what? What I love about Jesus and the plan that God had for him. It says he, he, it says he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. You see, there's something, there's something so beautiful about a person who will submit. And I honestly believe that if the plans that God has for you and for me, I believe we need to learn to submit to God and to each other. I believe submission is a huge part of actually getting into the plan that God has for us. And what did Jesus do? He went up to Nazareth and he actually, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. He actually subjected himself to two human beings. God. God in flesh actually subjected himself, became obedient to his mother and his so-called father. He subjected himself. It says in, in Ephesians that he became obedient unto death. He was, he, he was obedient to his father in heaven, but he was also obedient to his mother and to his earthly father as well. He was in submission. And I want to read this quote here because I loved it. It says, the more mature and secure a person is, the easier submission is for him or her. The underlying principle of submission is not how much one knows or who, sorry, it's not how much one knows, but who is one becoming. Therefore, even if you know more than other people, if you know more than your parents, you'd be wise to submit to them. If you know more than your leaders, you'd be wise to submit to them. You'd be wise to submit to your employer. Because it's not just a matter of the right decision, it's a matter of becoming the right person. Do you see whenever you're big enough to say, well, you know, even if you know something's right and they're insisting it's wrong, there's something about maturity where you can, where you can actually let it go. I mean, how many times of us are like, you know, I tell you I'm right and you better know that I'm right. Let me prove it to you, I'll show you right now. How many of us can just let it go? Do you know what? If it's right, God will bring it back again. Sometimes, it's, sometimes the bigger thing is to just trust God. And if somebody doesn't get the plan that God has for your life, they don't have to. And it seems at this time that Mary and Joseph did not understand really what God was doing with their son. They didn't know as much as Jesus did, but it says he subjected himself to them. And, he, and can you see him over the next years? And I love this. I love this about the Lord. You know, somewhere along the line, by the time he reached adulthood, there's no mention of Joseph. Somewhere along that time frame, Joseph must have died. He must have known what it was like to lose the father who died, his earthly father. And it seems that as the oldest boy, that Jesus stepped up into the role of carpenter and took over the, the role of caring for the family and providing for the family. And uh, I just love that idea of Jesus subjecting himself, submitting himself, that from the age of 13 years old, that he was, he actually, allowed himself to be confined to work in that carpenter shop. I'll tell you, sometimes the plans that God has for you, he wants to know, will you submit yourself to him and will you just allow yourself to be confined for a little period? You see, if God threw us everything like that and said, go for it, it would probably kill us. 
Jesus was willing to come under the submission of his father and wait for his father's time. And you know what? As a 30-year-old, one day, he took the brush up and he brushed the floor around the carpenter shop. I just love this. And he went over and he put the, the brush up in the corner for the last time. He was ready. He was ready for his mission. Listen, you and I sometimes get so caught up with why did it not happen yesterday? Why am I not doing all these things yesterday? Do you know what? God is, God is so, he loves you so much. He wants you to get his word into your heart. He wants you to present yourself to him over and over again on an ongoing daily basis. Just keep presenting yourself. Here I am. He wants you to not only, to not only present yourself, but he wants you to carry his presence. He wants you to learn how to walk with his presence and enjoy his presence. In his presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. He wants us to experience that because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And God wants you and me to, to carry his presence. And you know what? When we carry his presence, do you know what we do? We actually change the atmosphere around us because we're carrying the presence of Christ. It's a fragrance. And God wants you and me to get our priorities in line with God's priorities. Lord, what do you want to do first? Then I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you. Lord, what's your plan? I'm going to submit to you. you you'll bring the plan about. I'll trust you. I, even if it means waiting for a while. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready. Go through the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament people had to wait. Had to go through a process. Abraham. Go through every single one of them. Jacob. Joseph. Just go through all of those. Daniel, go through them all. They all had to go through a process and so do you and I. But you know what? You wouldn't, you wouldn't miss it. Because see the process, you get to know God in a way that you'd never imagined. It's the upside down kingdom. The world wants everything yesterday. The world wants just to satisfy our flesh. The world wants, wants us to, to, to be, go after things and grab things and it's all about me. God says, no, it's not. All about God. And you see, when we give him his first place, when we say yes to him, you do it your way, I'm with you, I'm in agreement. Lord, if step out of agreement, just correct me, because I want to get right into line again. You see, if we do that, our lives become vessels of blessing. We become women who carry something of God that other women want to stream to because they recognize that God is in you. And listen, for your difficulties and your problems, just believe that God is using those to shape you and mould you for what he has in mind. And it's good. And you see, even in the midst of the stuff, it's not like you can't, it's not like you can't do anything. You see, in the midst of it all, you're still blessing God and enjoying God. Even in the most dreariest days, you can have that joy from heaven to your heart where there is something going on where the joy is just flooding your soul. You know, as I look back in my days, some of the happiest times in my life were when I was doing the dreariest jobs. I often go back to being a 21-year-old. I often go back to this, going down to work in a place, I worked in for a year in a place down in Bangor. Real antiquated, old-fashioned place. Uh, you got into these, it was looking after kids that were severely uh, disabled, physical, mental, everything, everything you can think of, all jumbled up in one place. It was a Christian organisation, and I remember God put it in my heart to go down there. And I remember to this day, my father had given me a wee car, and it was one of them wee sports jobs. And it was a wee, um, I don't know what it was, midget or something. And I remember I had this, and I tell you, I was 21, and Sally knows this, I had the makeup on, the eye makeup on the short skirts, and I remember driving down, and when these, I went into this place, and these, everybody was called nurse, I was Nurse Jones. 
no qualifications, like, but it was Nurse Jones, all of a sudden. And I remember we were then, and all of these older ladies, beautiful ladies, beautiful, but I'll tell you, they were all dressed in their wee blue uniforms, and I was going to get one too. And have you seen the look of them whenever I walked in? <laughs> I tell you, I was not your norm coming in London. <laughs> but you know something, there was a passion burning in my heart. And you see, in that place, I can remember going round at night time, at 11 o'clock at night, lifting the children up, those that had to be lifted and taken to the toilet. And I can remember the joy that was busting up in my heart, because God was putting his love into me, and that love was going through to them. And that's really the best and the highest thing we can do in this earth, is to carry the presence of God and let his love flow through us full of people. That's the greatest gift you can give to anybody. And I can remember going round those nights and lifting one wee boy James, and he was all kind of walking like this, blessing. And I can remember just loving that child so much. God is in you, he's in me, and he wants to get out that people can feel him and know him. He wants you to lead many to Christ. He wants you to be a comforter to those that are broken around you. And you know what? The best way to be a comforter is to receive his comfort for yourself. When you receive his comfort, then you know how to give it out. I believe God wants to do great things among you women. I'm amazed that you're all here today after that bad weather. But you know what? I believe that God has put something in your heart that's drawing you to himself. And he's saying, come on, girls. You can do this. You can do this. He's like little William. He's standing with his arms out this morning. And he's saying, I love you. May we receive that love today in a fresh way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your plan for us, for your, the things, Lord, that you want us to prioritize in life because you know the plan that you have for us, says the Lord. Father, I pray that every woman here will feel your comfort this morning, will feel hope rising again. Pray, O oh God, that you will minister to every woman's heart. And Father, thank you for the privilege of being here again. Pray for a safe journey home for everyone. And pray, O oh Lord, that you will just continue to bless us, Lord, but help us also to be a blessing. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing. It's so beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world. Lord, may we glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name.